0: Welcome to The Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs,
1: artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing.
2: Interesting people, interesting things.
1: Welcome to The Bill Walton Show. I'm Bill Walton. Today, I want to talk about a growing threat to the American military. Uh, something we have now all come to call wokeness. And it's capable of doing what what no foreign enemy could ever do, uh, which is to fracture the world's greatest armed forces from within through divisive uh, political indoctrination and controls. Wokeness imposes the resentful mindset of an extremist few under the vast majority, and it has infected the Pentagon. It didn't simply emerge from Joe Biden and his defense secretary, Lloyd Austin. No, it's been metastasizing for years, and we need to address the problem. With me to talk about it today are are two men who know a lot about uh, the problem and and what to do about it. Uh, Lieutenant General retired William G. Boykin, uh, one of the original members and combat commander of the US Army's elite Delta forces, Uh, later Jerry, Boykin, commanded all the Army's Green Berets as well as the Special Warfare Center and School and served for four years as Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. Dr. Michael Waller is the Senior Analyst for Strategy at the Center for Security Policy where his areas of concentration are propaganda, political warfare, psychological warfare, and subversion. Mike holds a Ph.D. in international security affairs and got his start as an insurgent with the Nicaraguan Contras. Mike, welcome back.
0: Good to be back with you, Bill.
1: Uh, Jerry, before we dive into our our main uh, our main stage event, you're you're doing something very important. You're leading uh, the initiative that we're calling the Retired Flag Officers for America. What's that about?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that anybody's leading it. We just uh, are sort of coalescing together and. And Flag Officers for America is uh, a coalition of retired flag officers from all the services, to include the Coast Guard. uh, And we feel that our, uh, our oath to the Constitution of the United States had no expiration date on it. And as retired flag officers, we still have a responsibility to do what we can to support and defend the Constitution. And what we see happening in America today is uh, taking us down a path of absolute destruction of our Constitution, destruction of our our way of life, and destruction of the liberties that our founding fathers left us when they wrote that Constitution. So we are uh, we are doing what we can to make a difference. We back at the end of May we wrote a a letter, an open letter, and we outlined those things that we think uh, are very problematic for our way of life here. And uh, and prior to that letter in May, we had written one in September of last year, 317 of us signed it. And it uh, outlined how we felt that this was the most important election in the history of America. And that is because of this Marxist movement that has uh, has grown, has gotten real credibility, real legs, real influence uh, in every element of our society. And uh, what we were trying to point out in the September letter was, if this election doesn't go the right way, um, here's the things you ought to look out for. And those things, Bill, have come to pass and are in the process of, of uh, I think, reaching fruition in some cases. Uh, and this Marxist movement is very dangerous, and that's what we've tried to caution the American public about. Now I think they're seeing it.
1: Three hundred and fifteen or so signed, but I think it probably reflects the belief a lot of a lot more of the retired flag officers, doesn't it? I mean, I mean what is is this a prevalent feeling among everybody who served in the military, or is this? A,
2: yeah, it does. There, there are, there are. Uh, certainly far more than just the 317 that signed back in September, uh, that feel the way we do, but, uh, but there are those who believe that, uh, and, and I don't agree with them, but believe that uh, they should stay out of the political arena. They should stay out of uh, uh, controversial things as retired generals those of us who sign that do not feel that way we think that we have a responsibility in fact we have an obligation to get engaged and then you certainly have some who are making big money on boards of uh, corporate boards and they are not going to speak out and that's sad but it's the choice that they've made
1: because if we have a woke pentagon we also have woke corporations and we, you I've know, done a couple of shows on that. That's a that's a problem that uh, we need to get in some more. So, Mike, what do you, what define define woke? Define what it is that we're up against here.
0: Uh, woke is a pretty loose term, but it really stands for an extremist, po- intolerant point of view that's constantly changing. So, so you can't appease it. You can't please it. You can't compromise with it. It's absolutist and. It, if you disagree with it at all or don't go along the woke people will destroy you they'll destroy you personally they'll destroy you professionally they will ruin your family life they will make sure that you can never advance in any places where they have influence
1: and is that man is that critical is that the same thing as critical race theory or is it something is critical race theory part of that i mean what is it and how is it manifesting inside the pentagon because this is not something that just happened overnight
0: no it happened for it took decades to gestate and to develop uh, woke wokeness itself or the word woke is not necessarily ide- an ideological definition like critical race theory or cultural marxism it's more of an attitude and an approach and a way of life a way of functioning what it embraces all that extremism marxism cultural marxism to to have a, a, a the fight not between social classes but between cultural groups and ethnic groups and, uh, all those other types of intolerance so when it you can you can embrace those radical issues and not be woke you can say I'm, I'm a cultural Marxist but I think we should have a good debate about it that's not woke It's when they often don't admit they cultural, cultural Marxists. I don't think
1: cultural Marxists want to have a good debate about it. So <laughs> I don't think so. Well, you might you're get some scholar somewhere or somebody. Okay, somebody supposed, somewhere might.
0: Yeah, some polite <laughs> cultural Marxist might. So, wokeness is, is, we will destroy you if you don't agree with us. And they keep changing the goalposts all the time. So, no matter how much you appease, you're never going to win unless you completely continue to follow and embrace. And that's why someone like General Milley, chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Manifests this wokeness at the four-star level i mean look at him he's got his he's got his 101st airborne patch he's got such a distinguished career as a soldier and he rises all the way to the top to become this woke lunatic didn't he
1: say in the last testimony that he that uh we all ought to? you know we're talking about whether china's a problem and he says well i think it's more important we understand white rage and he's been studying white rage, and that's something we should all be wanted, willing to atone for. Well, Jerry, you made, made the point that you've got all the generals that believe they shouldn't be political. Yet he's completely political. I mean, what, where, totally. where, did we, where did we cross that? Where did he cross that line? And, and how did he get that job? I mean, that's is, you know, I'd heard about the Obama generals. I mean, how did all, this, how did all these four stars end up looking and acting like uh, Mark Milley?
2: First of all, you're seeing some four-stars now that became one-stars in the Obama administration, so keep in mind they've been progressing up the ladder. One of the things, if you go back and look at that testimony that Millie gave uh, before Congress, and he talked about, I want to understand white rage, and then he talked about, uh, and I want to understand what would make a person go and breach The Capitol, this very building we're sitting in, and and my thought is, statutorily, you are the senior advisor to the President of the United States on all things military. You have no command responsibility. You're the senior advisor to the President. What in the heck did the breach of the Capitol have to do with the military? Why are you... The senior advisor to the president, why are you focused on the breach of the capital or trying to understand what would make a person do that? And why are you focused on white rage? I was in the army 36 and a half years. This man has been around the army as well. Did you ever see white rage? I don't even know what it is. And this is part of this woke culture. When you don't have any other way to describe it, make something up. And that's essentially what has occurred. I never saw white rage in the military. That doesn't mean there weren't some racists in the military, but I never saw white rage. But even if if there was white rage in our society, what does that have to do with your job as a senior advisor to the president for all things military?
1: Focus on that. Let me wander a little bit on this one, because I know the Flag Officers Initiative, One of the controversial things that I, I, it's not controversial, I think it's great you did it, but you basically pointed out, we're not really sure who's running this White House. Mm -hmm. And is Milley stepping out of line on this one because he knows there's nobody in the White House that's gonna gonna jerk a knot in his chain?
2: I think that is exactly what's happening. I think that he's been encouraged by the lack of supervision, if you will. I think that he has towed the line. He's done what the president wanted on some key issues. Uh, and some of that has to do with the LGBT agenda and some of it has to do with this critical race theory. Uh, and I think that, uh, because he is a good boy and he is doing what the president's told him to do, I think he, I think he's taking some liberties of his own.
1: Is as joint chief of staff, you've got the head of all the other services on the, on that, in that room. I mean, how many other people in the room share that point of view?
2: Well, it's hard to say clearly. I the think Navy, the guy, the guy that,
1: the guy that runs, I can't,
2: chief of naval operations, does. He clearly is. He's one of those that has come out and and so boldly and proudly talked about uh, how they're supporting uh, the LGBT agenda in, in the in the Navy, and uh, they're they are woke, if you will. That's basically what he said. So you got those two. Now there is some hope that the, maybe the Air Force uh, hasn't. Quite bought into this yet, and that's because the chief of staff of the Air Force may actually be on the other side here. It's I, I, I need to dig in it more, but apparently they've got a uh, they've got a new Air Force recruiting ad that <laughs> simply says uh, you know we don't care about all these other things. All we want to know is that you can kick butt when you have to.
1: Comparing the contrast that one to the one that uh, Mike talked about in our, in our one of our last episodes, a woke CIA as a broke CIA. Was I just Let me stop for just a second. You're watching The Bill Walton Show. I'm here with Jerry Boykin and uh, Mike Waller, and we're talking about how wokeness has infected the very senior levels of the American military and how there may be one outlier in the Air Force, which is sort of a reversal of the good old days when yeah. we used to think that the top brass were all conservative. Now we may be suspicious that one of them still is. Mike, talk about that ad. Do you know about the ad that was in the, the at recruiting for the CIA?
0: Well, oh, oh, they have a series of them. Okay. And, and right. one the only, of them I is, only knew the one. I'm yeah. Sure. It, she's, she's, a, she's talking about, she's a, uh, you know, it's hard to even <laughs> internalize. It's so outrageous. She's talking about herself. She's talking about her mental and emotional problems. So she's an unsta- unstable intelligence officer who is now the, the, uh, the, the poster child for recruitment. It's all about herself. It's all about change. It's all about her militant um, attitude. So she's wearing a Bolshevik fist symbol on her T-shirt that she's featured in, in this ad. And then she's pictured with two uh, the, the then CIA director, who was Trump's CIA director, and then Obama's CIA director. And there's pictures of her. So she's been recruited through the ranks as... Miss diversity but it's all about herself and it's all about woke revolutionary cultural change within the agency
1: mm-hmm. so jerry i don't think i I, I, can't, I can't i gotta ask you what's happening in special ops and and in, in the army i mean are they is that also infecting uh, the green berets and and delta i mean that's inconceivable to me
2: well, have you seen the recruiting ad of the young lady that explains that she grew up with two mothers and uh, she she talks all about diversity? And have you seen that one? No. No. Now, do, it, the question then is, what exactly are we trying to recruit? I mean, what type of person are we trying to recruit? Douglas MacArthur stood in the mess hall at West Point in, what, 1963, I think? It was in the 60s, and you see it in the movie MacArthur. And he gave them a speech there, and he came to the end of the speech, and he said to the cadets, your mission remains determined, fixed, inviolable. It is to win the nation's wars. Our military should be about readiness. Diversity is important, but winning wars is what our military mission is, to win the nation's wars. When our Congress and our President as the Commander-in-Chief makes decisions regarding the military, those decisions need to be looked at through the lens of military readiness, preparedness to win the nation's wars. And I think you can go back to the Obama administration, you can see where this started to change. I think Trump gave us a four-year reprieve as he really focused on the readiness of our military and giving them not only the material that they needed, but the right rules of engagement to be victorious on the battlefield. And how long did it take them to run ISIS out of Syria, to run ISIS out of Iraq? Not very long because they got the material they needed and they got the, the rules of engagement. And I will just say this as a final thought. You give a a soldier the best materiel that you can buy, best technology, and you give him an advantage on the battlefield by doing so. But there is nothing more important on the battlefield than cohesion. You win wars because of cohesion, not because of technology. And when you sit people down in a classroom and you tell them all of you over here are oppressors because of the color of your skin and you guys over here because of the color of your skin, you're the oppressed. You're not building cohesion. You're throwing division into the ranks at a time when you really need to be pulling them together. That's the winning strategy, the winning formula.
1: Well, we've got a term now that we joked before, the military intelligence community loves acronyms. We've got something called DEI, Mm -hmm. Diversity, Equity, Inclusion. And that's the, uh, those are the marching orders. That doesn't have anything to do with winning wars. I mean, Mike, what do you, what's your take? I mean, no, day it's, it's, it
0: is Latin for God. By the way, that same acronym. Yeah. <laughs> that's true. This, this is their this is their creed. Now you need diversity in the military or the intelligence services because you need people with different skills, different backgrounds, different that's native a different language kind of diversity. Skill. Though that's a, totally. that's not what we're talking about here because you've got equity and inclusion. What does that mean? So so something very different. And once it is it once these things become required, and everybody has to pretend to go along, or actually go along with that mandate, then you're talking about lowering standards. Mm-hmm. My son was in the second Army basic training uh, class that was integrated, and sorry to say that their training unit, they were only as good as the chubbiest girl in the group. Not, not fit to serve in the in the Army, uh, in that capacity at least. And. Yet they had to go along with it, so that you're lowering standards and lowering readiness simply to be diverse, uh, equitable, and inclusive, and not win wars. Now, take this all the way up to the training and doctrine command and the Pentagon. Every year, the Defense Department updates its dictionary of military and associated terms. It's almost 400 pages long. The word victory doesn't appear once, Mm. Not not as a term to define and not even a reference to it. And it doesn't even have a definition for the term enemy. How can you train victory, people to Victory win? nor
1: enemy no. is in the lexicon. No.
0: Neither one. It refers to enemy in other capacities, but it doesn't even mention the word victory in its entire text.
1: So how far down the chain of command does this go? Is this a, how do, how are the junior officers on this? Are they, are they frustrated. buying it? they're frustrated? Yes. And I'm sure the, I'm sure the, the non-coms are, uh, are, are outraged. Bill, I'm, spe- I'm speaking as a,
2: as a spec No, you're no, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, Bill, uh, a guy called me from Kuwait. Uh, this was back during the gas shortage. And a guy said, sir, I, I felt like I owed it to you because you've been a mentor to me, but he said, when the last guy leaves Kuwait, I'm coming back, I'm turning in my resignation, I'm not going to stay. He said, this has become intolerable in terms of, what I'm being required to do, what I'm being required to spend my time on. And that, and, and he's not the only one. I talked to a guy out in uh, Fort Campbell that told me the same thing, a non-commissioned officer. And people are getting fed up with what's happening and they're starting to walk. You're starting to see them now. I just talked to a guy yesterday. He said, my son, is, uh, he's a major, and said, I, "I think he's going to get out." Special Forces major, by the way. So I think he's going to get out. Well, this what people don't understand, and I want your I want your viewers to understand this: when you when you shove a social experiment on a military unit, whether it's Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, or Coast Guard, it's not just a matter of you give them what what you want done there is a training program that goes with that and it's ours and it's not a one-time thing it's a repetitive thing and the commander has to make sure that he's got a hundred percent of his people that have been through that training because his performance appraisal is is dependent upon it for him to have a hundred percent on diversity on critical race theory on inclusion on integrating women into the military.
1: How much time in a typical week or typical month would they spend in the classroom learning about this? Uh...
2: You'll wind up spending an entire day, uh, probably every couple of months, okay. an entire day. That's a day you could be out on the range. And and that's why, if if you go back to the to the Vietnam era. And what's, what's his name? Uh, the POW that I asked you about earlier. Jeremiah Denton. Yeah, Admiral Jeremiah Denton was a POW, and they beat him mercilessly to get him to, make a, to do a video, and he wouldn't do it. And finally, when he said he would do it, he went out there and he sat before the cameras, and you can find this on YouTube, and he blinked the
0: whole time. He was
2: blinking the word torture. He got the Navy Cross for
0: it. In Morse code. In Morse code he was doing Yeah.
2: he got the Navy Cross for it because he had been trained. But then, if you go back and look at when those two patrol boats were taken off the coast of Iran, and within two hours, the commander of those two patrol boats, also a Naval Academy graduate, was looking in the camera and saying, this is all our fault and we want to apologize to the Iranians. That guy didn't get the kind of training that Jeremiah Denton got mm-hmm. about how to prepare for a combat environment. And why? Because when they rushed out the door, I guarantee you they were trying to get all of these mandatory classes in. So you take one class that every couple of months you gotta spend an hour on Okay, throw in the other classes too. Throw any other things that, that, that they have to do that are mandatory because they're part of a social experiment. You are wasting precious training time and you're doing a disservice to those young men and women.
1: You're watching the Bill Walton Show and I'm talking with uh, Mike Waller and Jerry Boykin and about the uh, the intrusion into our military effectiveness and readiness with all these other training programs that are not only putting really bad ideas in place, but they're also wasting time, precious time. Has, has the rubber hit the road in terms of a combat, you know, you, 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 we joked about the lowest common denominator in your platoon. I mean, we haven't been in action that much. Does anybody know? Have we tested this in combat? Do we know for a fact? I mean, we believe it, but the, have we had any evidence in any theater where these, these other theories have hurt our effectiveness?
2: You mean where these these uh, social experiments have had an impact on us? Yes. Yeah. Look, just look at the retention rates and the recruiting. Those are two indicators.
1: And what are they going to tell mom, us?
2: Mom, they're going to show you that people are leaving the military. That young young officers and non commissioned officers are leaving the military. It's not the upper echelon that's leaving.
1: Mike, you you also look at all the other intelligence agencies. Is this per, is this pervasive there? I mean, are we losing the right kind of people for this
0: uh, this fight? You get great operators in the CIA, and some fine field agents in the FBI in their 30s who are already checking out.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And who's checking in? Well, look at the ads. Look at the recruitment ads. They're, the they're signing up. That, they want I, that their own. That looks like me. <laughs> Their own special recruits. So they've got the the uh, the Latinx types who wear are, are the Bolshevik fists, and you've got the the gay librarian CIA ad. I don't know if you saw talk, saw that ad. He's it's all about how gay he is and and how great it is to be gay in the CIA. It's like, well, okay, as long as you're not a security risk, fine. But why is this an issue, and why are you recruiting that as a theme? Now, what does that say to? really solid patriots who want to join these agencies and who don't want this social engineering, they've got nowhere to go. They'll find a different road, different career, and we'll be losing those kinds of people.
1: So is our main line of action here is is to elect a president who will restore uh, um, a lot of what Trump did? Although, you know, Trump, we've talked about, was not very good at cha- making changes inside these big organizations. I mean, he he did things on top. He, he, he put some money in, but I don't think he really changed the culture no, as much. We
0: have to be honest. Donald Trump was part of the problem on this. His defense secretaries supervised all this in the Pentagon. Yes. His CIA director, Gina Haspel, produced those ads. She appears in one of the ads. Mm-hmm. So it, we can't delude ourselves to think just because we like a certain politician that he's going to fix things because Trump undermined the work of so many of us within the Pentagon and else the whole national security community. He fired them within his first few weeks in office, and, and he allowed others to, to get around him who undermined him the whole way through. So we can't romanticize our political leaders.
2: He did The one thing he did, do, well, he, a couple of things he did that were positive, though, I think, with regards to the military, uh, and that is he did start to restore the budget uh, that had been cut deeply by Barack Obama. He restored the budget, and he gave them the rules of engagement that they needed to win on the battlefield. And those were both positives. The other thing he did, and he was fought all the way by his defense secretary, and that was that he, he went back and took a common-sense approach to the transgender issue, and he said, we're not going to bring transgenders into the military that we're going to have to spend a lot of money and a lot of time on. They're not going to be ready to fight. And he he reversed that. Now it's been reestablished by Joe Biden, but uh, he did do that, and that was uh, and and Jim Mattis fought him all the way on that. But uh, I mean, that was it was just common sense. Why do we bring people in to have a medical issue that we're going to have to spend a lot of money on, and they're going to be out of not uh, unfit and unready for combat? For a period of time here and that was so he 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 did i think that was a positive on his part but you're right i agree with with mike he some of the people he put in there were and i could have told him you know if he'd asked me (laughs) which he didn't That gina haspel's uh, was not going to serve him well
1: well that was one of his you know, I, I worked for him in transition and we concluded that and there, we sat around and talked about this He basically was used to running a real estate deal shop and being a reality TV star and The reality TV star was great in terms of getting elected and running a deal shop Maybe helpful and in, in, in some of the negotiations he was in like Getting out of the Iran deal and things like that and, and pushing NATO to pay their dues Those kind of instincts as a negotiator were terrific he was a terrible uh, CEO, manager. I mean, and he gave this speech at a CPAC uh, recently. And, and the thing I didn't hear, I didn't hear that he learned anything. I mean, I would have loved a paragraph in there. Well, you know, I was president, and here's what I learned I learned you got to have really good people, and you got to ask guys like Jerry Boykin and Mike Waller what they think, because these are people who really understand where the uh, skeletons are and what the opportunities are and who the friends are and who your enemies are. He he didn't seem to have any instincts for that, and he still doesn't. That was a speech, not a question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you're free
1: to comment.
0: (laughs) No no disagreement there. He could have even said, the swamp is far worse than I ever thought. Something like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what's our line of action? What do we do?
0: We have to expose this. Okay. And, and it's Sunlight. a question of retired officers speaking their minds, speaking freely, abiding by whatever uh, UCMJ provisions might govern what they say and how they say it. You would know far better. Uh, signing on to your initiative or your colleague's initiative uh, at, the, at the general an admiral level, but even the the junior field grade officers, they still have a lot to say. A lot of really wonderful senior non-commissioned officers, the sergeants, I mean, the backbone of the military, uh, have a whole lot of knowledge, but they're not saying it because they're too disciplined to say anything publicly. And they also don't know to whom to turn. And This is where the the whistleblower initiative Mm -hmm. you were talking about earlier with uh, Congressman Crenshaw Mm Uh, go to Congressman Crenshaw's web page, and he has a whistleblower page where whistleblowers from, act, from the active duty military may sign on to that page with full legal whistleblower protection mm-hmm. to talk about problems that they see so that our lawmakers can fix them.
2: And, and they will not be exposed. Their names will not be exposed. So, and that's, I think that's what most people worry about. But listen, I, let's start at something even more fundamental. They need to get in behind candidates and, and get involved in the political process to include voting. The most fundamental right that our founding fathers gave us was the right to choose our own leaders. And I must tell you that I've seen a lot of people in the military that didn't vote. You know, they it wasn't their home state. They didn't take the time to get a ask for an absentee ballot, and they didn't vote. The military people as well as the people within our intel community they need to vote and they need to they need to get in behind candidates now as active duty military you can't do that but but you can vote and that's what you need to do because we are the only way we're going to change things is getting getting the right people in the congress the house and the senate that uh, that are not going to stand for this that we, that, that we can go to and we can, we can say, we really need your help on this. And they'll understand the issue just like Dan Crenshaw and Tom Cotton who are both military veterans. And we need to, uh, we need to not underestimate the importance of getting out and voting and supporting candidates and being involved in the process.
1: But most people won't do that, don't do that. I mean, Mike, you write something It's pretty chilling. You wrote a piece called, and you'll have to pronounce this for me, The zampalets of Wokeness. Right. And you, you know, one of the things I'm very concerned is we're beginning to develop this tell-on-other-people-turn-people-in culture. Mm-hmm. And even in even in schools now, they're, depu- they're deputizing kids to say, you're supposed to tell us if somebody's not acting in in a, in a politically correct way. And so they, you've got informers. It, it, and... You went through a whole list of people that that were categories of groups that that was like, and you mentioned things like, uh, um, gosh, what was in your list here? The uh, Robespierre of the French Revolution was woke, and uh, the Bolsheviks, the Wehrmacht uh, in, in Germany. I mean, what, what talk about how you get up in, in the Soviet Union ended up with a chain of command that had to do with the military, so-called, and the other one was political.
0: Yeah. Well, in the case of the Soviet Army, they built a new army. So the Tsarist army was abolished during the Russian Civil War, so there was a whole new army developed, and they had a dual command structure. They had the military command structure, and they had the Communist Party political command structure. And those political commanders were called political commissars to impose party rule within the ranks of of all the officers and the enlisted or conscripts. During World War II, the, the commissar system was so disastrous militarily that they got Stalin got rid of it, and he, he replaced it with something called the Zampolit, Z-A-M-P-O-L-I-T. And that's a classical communist abbreviation for a much larger term, but it was essentially a political commissar system where communist party members in uniform were actually making command decisions, but they were also running informant networks with the secret police to go after anyone who has exhibited the slightest bit of political not even disloyalty, but political deviationism, so right now you have a revival of that now the example it rose in the Soviet system to ruin the Soviet army, so Leonid Brezhnev and some of the biggest uh, leaders of the Soviet uh, communist party structure as well as a Soviet defense minister at certain points, had come up as political police, as zampolits or commissars, you're having that today where uh, you, you, and I know many of these officers and former officers where they said, colonels, I'm not going to get my star. I, I didn't kiss enough behind. Uh, I know why. Look at so-and-so. He's a brown noser. He's going to make it to full general and sure enough some of them had you watched them over the years and they were right so that's the kind of a example system that we have here where you go ahead and you obey and and you do the right kiss up work and you you check the right boxes and and you're much more short of rising up through the ranks than a very capable very competent very uh, very selfless officer or even an enlisted man would do in the in the uh, ranks of our sergeants for example so the So you're creating a political system within our military that needs to have a name. So I just borrowed the Soviet name, Zampolitz. But look what's happened recently, what was reported this past week. The, the, The Office of the Secretary of Defense has hired a foreign company called Moonshot CVE to run an electronic surveillance network of American uniformed personnel to monitor their communications that hopefully are not password protected, but monitor their communications, their social communications, any of their constitutionally protected expression to root out who is an ideological deviationist. Moonshot CVE. Who are these people? The, the person running it was with the Obama Foundation, doing projects funded by George Soros, doing work with a with a group at American University called Peril, which is funded by the Rosa Luxembourg Foundation of Germany. Now, what's Rosa Luxemburg? Rosa Luxemburg was a founder of what became the German Communist Party. It's a front of the present German Communist Party, and it's tied to the old East German Stasi, the, the KGB of East Germany, which was taken over fully by the Soviet KGB in 1989. One of their managers was the Communist Party chief of Dresden, Germany, Who was the KGB officer supervising the East German secret police in East Germany at that time? A KGB major named Vladimir Putin. You have to wonder, have foreign enemies subverted our armed forces through these and other means? And why aren't we treating this as a counterintelligence issue? Because the Russians cannot defeat us militarily except through nuclear war. They can defeat us by subverting us.
1: you're watching the Bill Walton Show—a a sort of uh, stunned Bill Walton uh, here with uh, Mike Waller and Jerry Boykin—and we're talking about the degree to which it appears the the defense establishment has been infiltrated by those not only enemies within but enemies without. Actual communists, Chinese—I didn't mention you didn't mention the Chinese, but you mentioned the Russians. Are we, are we seeing infiltration from the Chinese as well?
2: Yes. You're seeing them more on the civilian side than you are in the ranks of the military, uh, but yeah, every entity of our government is infiltrated to some level by the Chinese. but I want to go back to something that Mike was talking about in this you know when when Joseph Stalin came to power, he purged. I think it was 36,000 senior officers from the ranks of the Soviet military. 36,000. You heard what Mike said about this, monitoring people's social media. Well, the rest of that is they're going to be shaking people down for tattoos that indicate that they're part of some subversive organization uh, or anything else that would indicate that they've been part of a subversive well, organization
1: by subversive specifically they mean according white people, to their white, according white to their definition.
2: people filled with white rage this yeah.
1: was the this was the mark milley uh charge I mean, they're not chasing down anybody else they're not chancing down antifa or black lives matter just the, the well they're
0: sweeping under the rug that they've allowed the Salvadoran ms13 gang group to infiltrate. They've been recruiting MS-13, but they're trying to cover that up. You don't hear them talking about that kind of infiltration of our armed forces, but it's a real problem.
2: But this is, this is, this is Soviet tactics. That's why the Soviets were not prepared to fight the Germans. 36,000 leaders, senior leaders, colonels and, uh, and above. 36,000. They had no leadership. So as you start talking about purging the, the army, the navy, the air force, marines, coast guard, you start talking about purging them. Just just be honest about the fact that we're following a communist model. We're we're doing the same thing that Joseph Stalin did and and that's not good.
1: So, uh so this is marxism marxism the cultural marxism is what's been driving the critical race theory but this is they're using the old soviet tactics as well so this is an across the board
2: assault Um, we'll just go back and look at what happened last summer all of those riots in the streets and pulling down statues and all that and then spend a little time on the web reading about the cultural revolution in china
0: Right, Mike? Just what they did.
2: You're going to see a lot of similarities. And then when you compare that to the fact that Patrice Cullors is on the web saying, yeah, we're trained Marxists, it doesn't take you long to figure out that we we are following the Marxist model. And uh, if we don't stop it, if we don't take active steps to stop it,
1: well, even before the Chinese did it, I think we, we talked about this. Lenin, first thing he did, essentially, was he stopped, he changed the whole system of justice where you weren't guilty of an individual crime. The group you were in was the, was the crime uh, identification. So if you were mm-hmm. in this, in this uh, you know, if you were an accountant or if you were a schoolteacher or something like that, you were automatically labeled as, as guilty. And that's pretty much what's happening with the uh, critical race theory if you're white you're white therefore you're in the guilt group
0: right and this is classical cultural marxism as it's been developing because because you're pitting entire different groups against one another culturally mm-hmm. as opposed to economic classes like karl marx and friedrich engels now they've moved it toward toward uh, ethnic groups or regional groups or ancestry
2: and and keep in mind a lot of people didn't understand what the the Occupy Wall Street was, but that was a Marxist, that was a Marxist activity because it was pitting the proletariat against the bourgeois, or the bourgeoisie, which was the one percent. Remember. And finally, they settled on something that worked, and that was race, and that's what we're dealing with today. They tried one percent,
1: didn't didn't work, but race is
2: right. Race works. Yeah. But the bourgeoisie against the proletariat was. Not the formula to get to America, but race, it's, but it's Marxism. It's all Marx. It's about division that ultimately results in in major chaos and bloodshed, and then the government has its opportunity to, just as Mao did in 1966, is to sweep in and take over and establish a totalitarian government.
1: Well, long term, I guess long in the long run, as Keynes said, we're all dead. But long term, eventually. Soviet Union came a cropper. You can't kill. You can't kill all your generals in effect to to win war. The only reason they came out well on in World War II is because we came in, and also they just had so many more numbers than the Germans did. They just
2: they were willing to sacrifice their people, tens of millions
1: of people. They won through sheer force of uh, of the numbers. But and then China, the Cultural Revolution, they had to unwind because that you know they ended up. You know, Mao said, "We can't do this. We're destroying." But then they switched to cap- capitalism with Chinese com- with Chinese characteris- characteristics. They abandoned that because uh, they couldn't survive with that model. It seems to me this is not going to survive in that model. And uh, you know, l- l- let's talk about. We got just a couple seconds here, minutes here, but uh, let's talk about useful idiots. You know, the the people that aid and abet. I mean, the press is all in on this. I mean, we've got a media that's absolutely thinking this is great. Now, it seems to me that if cultural Marxism really prevails, it's going to be very painful for a lot of them because they're not going to be in the chosen few. You're an historian.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> th- tell me how this die, is going this to end. Will, This will <laughs> die out at some point. Okay. Be, uh, these things sometimes. Hopefully die. before we do. <laughs> well, I mean, it, it's interesting that the people who always want to impose these things are the same ones who want to take away everybody's right to self defense and means of Mm self-defense. And so when you see uh, these type of people taking power, uh, abusing the court system and the political system and the regulatory system and the all measures of government power against the individual and then call uh, uh, certain riots and large protests, insurrections that must be crushed by every instrument of force that the United States government has, you're seeing some people at the very top who clearly intend to abuse power. When the Speaker of the House herself refers to her Republican colleagues, all of them, as enemies of the state. That's a real danger. When you have a company uh, affiliated with a retired senior general, McChrystal, using military technology developed for psychological warfare purposes against foreign enemies and used as campaign technology in the United States in the most contentious election in our history, that's a problem when you have the author of General Petraeus's counterinsurgency manual, Lieutenant Colonel Nagel, come out publicly and say in the summer of 2020 that President Trump must be overthrown militarily and physically removed from the White House if the elections don't go the way this retired Lieutenant Colonel wants. Uh, Milley was wishy-washy in criticizing it. He should have condemned it outright. Instead, he brushed it off and said he's going to do his duty, whatever that duty was. But you were seeing this increasing uh, use of senior counterinsurgency former officers deploying their counterinsurgency technologies and techniques against the American public for political campaigns. This is a huge danger that we have to be really wise to and stop. So
1: what are you guys at Center for Security Policy doing about it? We're
0: exposing it. That's the only thing we can do is expose it. Shine a light on it. Inform
1: the public. So things like this, people need to know what's going on, right. and you need to view this as it's really happening. It's really bad, and if you don't take some action, um, it's coming to you.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Jerry,
1: you're, you're, you've launched the retired officer. So well, a group of you have. I mean, what's what's our line of action through that uh, through that initiative?
2: That's exactly what. Uh what Mike just talked about. Okay. Exposing this, that's what the letter was all about, but I will tell you, Bill, I'm not as sanguine about this as you are, and uh, and that's because we've got a generation of young people today who have been indoctrinated. They believe that socialism is preference, prefer, uh, preferable to capitalism. That's a very dangerous thing. They... Uh, how what does it take to to re-educate them to get them out of this mindset because we've allowed them in the public schools and the universities to be indoctrinated and now that's what they believe so i i think the hard part is turning the next generation around and getting them beyond these these very bogus beliefs that they have and that's why i'm not as sanguine as you are in terms of it dying on its own, under its own weight, as, as it did in I, China I, I didn't
1: gi- I, I didn't give you a time frame. It may, yeah. it may outlast us by decades, yeah. which, is, which is a concern. Yeah. Uh, well, we've got to wrap up. Mike Waller, thank you. You can be found at, uh, what's your website? CenterForSecurityPolicy.org. Okay Mike Jerry you're now executive vice president of family research council and yeah, frc.org. And what's the what's the information for the uh, the retired officers uh, campaign.
2: Flag officers for America.org, I think. Okay In, you're uh, watching the Bill Walton
1: think. show. You've been watching the Bill Walton show and we've been having a very sobering conversation about the uh, the uh, the enemies of American freedom and and uh, hopefully some lines of action about what we can do about it. You can find us, as always, at thebillwaltonshow.com and all the other major podcast platforms and YouTube, Uh, and YouTube, so long as YouTube doesn't take this show off the channel. (laughs) I don't don't think we violated community guidelines today, but we will find out. So anyway, thanks for watching and listening, and uh, you'll see us next time. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Want more? click the subscribe button or head over to thebillwaltonshow.com to choose from over 100 episodes. You can also learn more about our guest on our Interesting People page. And send us your comments. We read everyone and your thoughts help us guide the show. If it's easier for you to listen, check out our podcast page and subscribe there. In return, we'll keep you informed about what's true, what's right, and what's next. Thanks for joining.